John, I need to I need to say one more thing for you and a, and a plug for you. Uh, as you know, this is the first long form interview, the first interview really that Lauren and Teresa have done. And there's a long line of people that are going to interview them. I just hung up with the Washington Post. They're going to do something on Monday. The CBS News affiliate is going to do a long interview with them. But we wanted you to be first because I knew that you and your folks would give Teresa and Lauren the opportunity to tell the story as it really happened. And if if your viewers do see and hear other news broadcasts, which are surely going to happen, some of them that are already emerging are hostile, belligerent, and untrue. So I thank you for the opportunity for Lauren and Teresa and for Missy and I to, to be a part of a, what we call a long form interview. It's like the good old days of Larry King, you know, or, or uh, some of these guys that would talk, they ask a question and let the people talk. Thank you for that. God bless you and what you guys are This is the John Henry Weston Show and probably one of the most important shows we've ever done. We have with us today, Lauren Handy, who is right at the center of one of the biggest stories on earth today, particularly in the United States. You've already heard the news from last week where you had arrests of nine people with uh, the the police showing up in SUVs, guns drawn, some at five o'clock in the morning, kicking down doors. And it's over what? It's over a case from 2020 where nine pro-life activists did a rescue mission to save unborn babies in one of the most brutal clinics in America, right in DC, where an abortionist does abortions just about right up to birth. The controversy though is much bigger Check out this. This is from the media at the time. And we have Lauren Handy with us. Check this out and stay tuned. D.C. police confirmed that the medical examiner collected five fetuses from inside the home of an anti-abortion protester. Her name, Lauren Handy. Handy has just been indicted on a charge of invading and blocking access to a D.C. health clinic. Now, WSA 9 broke this story. We were outside the home. Remember this yesterday on 6th Street Southeast when police were carrying out that raid? Officers walked out carrying red biohazard bags and coolers. That's never a good sight. WSA 9's Bruce Lachan live there with more on some of the shocking revelations our team was able to uncover today. Bruce, good evening. Yeah, Adam, I'm telling you what, kind of a bizarre, gruesome house of horrors here in a crowded D.C. neighborhood. D.C. police say they found those five fetuses right down here in this apartment, which is connected to that anti-abortion activist, Lauren Handy. Let's begin as we always do with the sign of the cross. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. At LifeSightNews.com, we are so very privileged to give chance for this first extended and exclusive interview with Lauren Handy and uh, Teresa Bukovinak, who's helping out with this case. Lauren, of course, is one of the ones charged in this case, one of the ones who is expecting this Horrific trial of, you know, potentially 11 years in prison, three years supervised release, $350,000 in uh, in fines. But this total insanity, I wanted to get uh, Teresa Bukovinak, who is a longtime pro-life activist right in the trenches and who supports all these great folks. Give us what's going on right now from the ground level. And uh, I'm going to ask you in a minute, too, to give us the backstory, which is totally fascinating. Teresa, if you could. Sure. Um, thanks again for having me, John. Um, on the 30th, was it? Um, we received word that there were arrests being made by the FBI related to a rescue that Lauren and eight others participated in almost two years ago in Washington, D.C. Um, and we heard that there were some um, home, that the police were coming into homes and arresting people, some at gunpoint. Uh, And so we quickly um, rushed over to her house. We were expecting to contact the officer um, and Lauren was prepared to turn herself in. But as we arrived at her apartment, we stepped out of the car and FBI agents stepped out of their cars 
and immediately called out Lauren's name and the arrest began. Okay, so let's stop there. We're going to look at a little bit of footage of some of that we have. And that's incredible. That is, you know, this is like a takedown. This is in different parts of the country. Um, you know, people arrive with SUVs, guns drawn, break into homes, some of them at five in the morning, go to places of work to arrest people. This is unbelievable stuff. Please tell us what comes from there, Teresa. Uh, well, after Lauren was taken into custody, we learned that all of the nine defendants have been charged um, under the FACE Act. Uh, this is a, a, an anti-life um, act that has been in existence since the uh, 90s in order to address um, all of the rescues and arrests that happened um, during the time in the height of Operation Rescue. During that time, there was over 75,000 arrests made. And so this particular act came in, into an existence to address that from a federal level. It has by the Clinton administration, if I'm not mistaken. Correct. Yes. Um, it's kind of um, fallen off over the years. Um, I, very few people, to my knowledge, have been charged with face, uh, if any, have been convicted. Um, but this is the first time that we've seen something like this in decades. And um, and it's very dramatic. It's it's coming, of course, right before a decision might be made um, from the Supreme Court in the Dobbs v. Jackson case. Um, so it definitely looks a little desperate um, from the pro-abortion side, a, a desperate attempt to further demonize pro-life work, pro-life people, and to um, demoralize those who are engaged in life-affirming activism. Well, absolutely so. This is, as you said, from October of 2020. So they're reaching back massively into the past to do this, and they come out in massive force to make a show trial of this. And it's coming, as you said, right before Roe v. Wade is going to be challenged in the most major way, perhaps uh, since it was affected. But there's something else here. Describe for us, if you will, what is the presenting cause? What was this rescue about? What are they actually talking about? Um, well, with this rescue in particular, uh, these nine defendants gathered at the Washington Surgery Center in Washington, D.C. This is um, an abortion mill that is run by Sant uh, Cesare Santangelo. He is a notorious late-term abortionist. Um, and this is one of the most notorious late-term clinics in the country. There is no gestational limit on abortion in Washington, D.C. And Santangelo basically advertises that he is willing to do abortions up until the moment of birth. And, um, and so these rescuers, um, they entered the clinic. Um, they offered life-affirming resources to the people inside and attempted to um, prevent others from destroying the lives of our 
our fellow human beings. The, the name of the event was No One Dies Today. And I believe that they were successful that day in, back in October of 2020. Now, if you can describe for us what that entails, no one goes there with guns or anything like that. What, what does it actually look like? Um, well, I was not present on the scene that day, um, but this was a traditional rescue. It's mm-hmm. called a lock and block. Um, and I think that that's one of the reasons that they are using this more traditional act to try to uh, prosecute these activists. Um, you know, people are saying that we're bringing back the 90s. Well, it kind of feels that way. Um, these activists were bringing back the tactic of locking arms and blocking a center in order to save lives. And they have been slapped with uh, federal charges that haven't been really used since the 90s. Right. And so this is nonviolent. They're locking arms to block access, therefore to save the lives. And so he, we're, we're talking about something that's not nefarious in any way, but they are doing, yes, it's civil disobedience, but it's in order to save these li- the lives of these babies. Okay, take us from there. Um, well, I also just want to add that, you know, this nonviolent direct action is, it's a, an essential way uh, to try to move forward a social justice movement, that it is critical that activists are willing to put their bodies in between the oppressors and the oppressed in order to bring about justice for these victims. Um, And then you wanted me to go somewhere from there. Sorry. Yeah, absolutely. Well, take us forward from there. And in fact, before you do that, I wanted to read out something, something really incredible. This was Will Goodman, one of the nine who was charged. And Facing arrest, he said something really incredible. So these comments, again, they're from Will Goodman. Our Lord Jesus Christ says to all of us, be not afraid. And when we're doing pro-life work, we need to keep in mind, especially in a culture of death, that those who protect abortion are likely to come after us for our peaceful defense of life. And we need to have a mentality that it's a win-win situation. If the government doesn't arrest us or throw us in jail, it's a win because we can continue with our pro-life efforts. We can conduct nonviolent direct action rescue missions and can continue with our work. However, if they do persecute us, if we are unjustly arrested and thrown into jail or prison, it's also a win because we can unite our small sufferings with that of Jesus Christ our Lord. And in union with him, we can pray for the conversion of sinners. We can pray in reparation for sin, for the salvation of souls, and for the protection of life. And so it's a win-win situation. When we have the opportunity to suffer, it's not a defeat or a loss, but rather it's a very powerful means by which we can help to transform our culture into a culture of life. So the Lord says, be not afraid. And so as Catholics, as pro-lifers, we must ask God for the gift of courage and fortitude so that we can share the gift of the gospel of life fearlessly and joyfully to the greater glory of his name. Amen. I think that's just so beautiful. So, so beautiful. Lauren, do you want to give us your sentiments on, on hearing Will's testimony? And, and how do you feel about this? Um, the rescue was one we haven't seen in years. Uh, and it was so beautiful because it was a reflection of the body of Christ, but it was also a reflection of the diversity of our movement as well. We had people from all religious backgrounds, non-religious backgrounds, left, right, um, and of all ideologies coming together. But what, and like things that you would never think, people who you would never think would come together, but we were under the banner of nonviolent direct action, of, of saving a particular baby on a particular day and letting the chips fall where they may. And uh, we know there's risks always involved when you're going up against state-sanctioned violence. Um, We have a state-funded, protected, and facilitated killing on a mass scale in America. And it is a business. It's It's the overlapping interests of business in the state. And, of course, when you hit people's pockets, they're going to go back after you. And we all knew that, but we so strongly and passionately believed that 
if the preborn are human, then our reflect, then our actions needed to reflect that. And um, often the government, the abortion industry, they they have that yardstick of suffering. How much is a life worth? How much are you willing to suffer? How much are you willing to risk for that life? Am I willing to risk 11 years, possibly 11 years, so another person could spend their full 30, uh, uh, not 30, but their full, you know, 70 years? Am I, am I willing to forfeit 11 so someone could spend 70? So families could be spared from the pain and shockwaves of abortion violence. And um, of course, there's like the overwhelming fear or um, of what's happening, but we always have to remember who the true victims are. And, um, and that are the children who are being aborted on a, on a mass scale, mass violence, mass violence. Uh, I have personally um, have helped sev over 700 families choose life outside of abortion facilities. And I've sidewalk counseled across 32 states and I've seen the devastation of what abortion does to our communities. We're talking about generational trauma. And there has to be people who are willing to interrupt that cycle of violence without mirroring violence. And that's what nonviolent direct action is, uh, rescue is, interrupting a cycle of violence without mirroring the injustice. Lauren, let me just say how, how proud the pro-life movement is of you. You're a young lady with just a, an amazing courage. You've really shown us in your willingness to suffer for this, the value of life. And it's, it's an incredible thing. God bless you. Thank you. And I really take the, the like, if, if they're made in the image of likeness of God and every abortion destroys that image and likeness of God, and if we love until it hurts, so there can be no more hurt and only more love, then how could we not? And I just feel compelled to do what I can to alleviate suffering. And if I cannot help alleviate suffering, to accompany those into the dark with them. Yeah. That suffering for you was very real as well. I don't know if you're able to, but... If you are, to tell us how it felt when, you know, the police arrived and, and you were threatened that way, what was that uh, like for you? It wasn't my first rodeo. It wasn't my first arrest. Um, but there's always that initial fear. But um, Joan Andrews Bell, my mentor, my beloved mentor, she always tells me, say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, and have that and and each each time I just say thank you, Jesus, because it is a truly for me it truly is an honor and a blessing and a privilege to be able to be united to Christ crucified and to and when we keep our perspectives on have our on the heavenly. It, it, it really um, grounds you and centers. Wow. Teresa, there's more to this story, though. There's oh, yeah. a background story. Take us through that, if you would, please. Yes, there is another story that's being weaved into this story. And they're actually separate stories, but they are connected. Um, I recently... Um, Lauren and I have been engaged in what we call pink rose rescues, which you may have heard of. Uh, we are training young activists to enter abortion facilities, to hand out pink roses, to hand out resources. It is a nod to the red rose rescue movement, which you may be aware of. Um, and we're just, we're making more space for people to get involved. And usually we enter clinics, hand out roses and leave. Um, and we were planning to do 
a rescue recently, a Pink Rose rescue at Santangelo's clinic. This is the same clinic where the lock and block occurred. And um, last Friday, Lauren, on the day of the unborn and the Annunciation, Lauren and I planned to do a Pink Rose rescue. We went to Santangelo's clinic and at the time we had no knowledge of this pending um, FBI investigation or these face charges. We were just going along with our regular business. This is something that we, we normally do. We go to abortion facilities and we try to help moms. And we have, we have saved babies at Santangelo's clinic before in a pink rose rescue. So it's Friday, it's the day of the unborn. We decide to do a rescue. We show up on the scene and immediately there is a truck parked outside um, from Curtis Bay uh, Medical Waste Services. And we recognize it, you know, as a medical waste truck, Lauren jumped out of the car immediately. I followed her. We approached the driver who was um, loading boxes into the back of the truck. Um, I asked him if he knew what was in the boxes and he said no. And we told him that it's probably dead babies. And he was completely shocked. And um, we asked him if they came from Washington Surgery Center. And he went to go check to verify. And while he was checking, we saw the label on the outside of the box, which indicated, yes, it had come from Washington Surgery Clinic. And so when he came back around, he also confirmed the same thing. I asked him, will you get in trouble if we take one of these boxes? And he said, that he had already scanned it in, but what would we do with them if we took a box? And Lauren immediately said, we're going to give them a proper burial and a funeral. And he thought for a second and he said, okay. And so we grabbed the box, Lauren grabbed the box. We ran, we got it to a safe place. We, talked to some people who had been in a, a similar circumstance before. Uh, we were very panicked. We knew there was a potential that there, for something very traumatizing in that box. Um, but we, we had to find out. And so we got gloves. We put on masks. We were advised by people on how to do this. We filmed the opening of the box. And immediately Lauren recognized, yes, there were aborted babies in there. As we unpacked them, we unpacked over 115 unborn children. Five of them were extremely late term. And, and then we, I mean, then our lives were changed forever after that, after seeing yeah. them. Just going to, play now a couple of clips uh, of that of that unpacking uh, just to show people how real this was I just advise before we do that that um, it's viewer discretion advised this is um, this is reality this is what they saw Now, after seeing that, um, we heard uh, one of you were weeping in the background there. Um, if either of you are open to it, um, if you're able to uh, describe what you felt like at the time. I kept saying to myself, I'm sorry, baby. I'm sorry. I love you. I'm sorry. Love you. It's by far the most soul-crushing experience I've ever had in my life. And I know what abortion does. I've already dedicated my life to helping these babies, but I have never seen such horror, such violence, such hatred for our fellow man. And I can't unsee it. And it has haunted me every second of the day since that moment. Yeah. 
these are the realities of war on our own soil. War perpetrated by us, by the sitting government, by what is so-called legal in America, in Canada, around the world, the free world. These are horrors, and it's evident here. This is what's concealed. Trace, if you're able to continue from there, how does this play out? So um, for your audience, we did have a deacon present. We tried to find a priest there for the unboxing, um, but we were able to have a deacon present. Um, You know, we made the necessary calls um, to our attorneys and we decided that we wanted to find um, a pathologist or someone who could verify the late gestational ages of these unborn children and to determine whether or not some of them had been born alive. These are very big babies. And we know from undercover footage that's been released by live action that Santangelo does not use feticide uh, when doing abortions. That means like the likelihood of a late term baby being born alive is extremely high. And, um, and it's very unlikely at these gestational ages without feticide that they mm-hmm. aren't. No, um, I mean, these, these, that, that baby in the video, I've had eight children born, and that baby looked bigger than some of our children who were born a little bit early. Yes, we, we knew right away that there was um, potential evidence here um, of federal crimes, um, like the Born Alive Infant Protection Act. Also, one of the late-term babies um, seemed very obviously a victim of partial birth abortion. Um, and, and so we were concerned from that moment on of preserving this evidence and ensuring that, or at least attempting to get justice for them um, and to, to hopefully bring accountability to Sant'Angelo. So we searched around for a pathologist. We had a priest come um, a couple days later. We were still looking for a pathologist. Um, He said a funeral mass for um, unbaptized children there at the location in front of the refrigerator where we had been storing them. And um, ultimately we were unable to locate a private pathologist who would be willing to come evaluate the condition of these children. So we made arrangements um, through an attorney to um, hand them over to the medical examiner in order to make this determination about whether or not federal crimes had been committed. And that arrangement was made the day before the FBI arrested Lauren. And that the medical examiner and the the DC police homicide and forensics showed up to the apartment to collect these children just hours after Lauren had been arrested. So in the media, these two stories um, seem like one. People have reported that the FBI raided Lauren's home and found um, fetuses that she had been keeping in her house, which is completely untrue. This is this is something that we had been dealing with days prior to her arrest. And it seemed to be just coincidence or fate, some people would say, um, or God's will um, that this all occurred on the same day. Um, And so it's, um, we are trying to set the record straight about that situation. There's been accusations against Lauren for keeping babies for a long period of time. That is certainly not the case. Uh, We have acted with the utmost urgency um, with this situation and respect for the remains of these unborn children. Um, Okay. So, so the truth of the story is the media reports that, you know, they go in to do this arrest of all these nine people. And at one of them at Lawrence place, they find these, remains of five babies 
that wasn't related actually to the arrest per se. It was arrest. And then later they come and do what you guys, in fact, had called them for. What is truly remarkable, though, is that the lock and block happened at Sant'Angelo's clinic. And this was just a situation that we couldn't have planned for outside Mm -hmm. of Sant'Angelo's clinic last Friday. And um, it it seems just pretty, um, pretty interesting that the two ultimately are connected, even though they were entirely separate incidents years apart. Yeah. Okay, so it's phenomenally interesting also because this this all goes on. The the evidence comes forward on the day of the or on the day of of the unborn. It's called that because it's on the day of the Annunciation. The Annunciation, March 25th, is the feast day where we celebrate the conception of Jesus Christ in the womb of his holy mother. So it's the perfect day for the day of the unborn because it's the day that Jesus became the unborn. And on that very day comes the evidence in almost a miraculous way that you guys have that leads, yes, to this great suffering, but also to this evidence. I, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what comes from it. And uh, your heroism is, is really incredible. However, I must say there does seem to be a connection in all of this anyway, because here is a DC clinic, a major DC clinic. It's the DC medical examiner that you went to, uh, to, to come and check this out. And then you get served right away with this old case from 2020 and they come and get you on the very day that uh, that they're also coming to pick up the, this evidence. Uh, sorry, it seems kind of related. I don't mean to be a conspiracy theorist, but from what we've seen with the FBI fooling around with evidence and covering things up and doing wild other things to accuse whistleblowers, this seems a little bit too much for me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It definitely seems like a wild coincidence. Um, And regrettably, though, the D.C. police has already uh, they've already made a statement saying that they don't believe any crimes have been committed here, um, that the the babies were afforded according to D.C. law and that they are not pursuing an investigation as to how these babies died and how we acquired the fetuses. Whoa. Okay. You know what? In these kind of crazy times where it seems like the powers that be are so much above us and so much, we we sort of seem to have nothing to do, we still can do something. Look, here's something else that's very weird. The abortionist in question says our Sant'Angelo, his last name is Sant'Angelo, which means holy angels. There's no such thing as real coincidences in life, I don't believe. I believe in providence and God's hand works in everything. We need to pray that the holy angels assist us with the conversion of Cesar San Angelo. I don't, you know, we don't hate these people. They're doing heinous things. They're killing babies. They're absolutely killing babies. Maybe I can ask you, Lauren, do you hate Cesar Sant'Angelo? My heart is broken over the violence he committed. And I pray and I'm fasting for his conversion. I know in my own life, my different things that led to my conversion. And I'm so grateful for God's grace and love and abundance and blessings. And I hope that for him too. And I don't, for me, I don't think hate, uh, is productive. Um, I think righteous anger, I think grief and mourning and sorrow are more aligned with how I deal with things. Yeah. It's very obvious we hate the things he's been doing. He's yes. been yes. killing, dismembering, and harming innocent little children. That's very clear but we hold and harbor no hatred toward him and we hope and pray 
and even offer up our sufferings for his own conversion. Because a lot of us were there ourselves. And so this is an incredible thing because a lot of what's legally going on here is based on this kind of a notion of some kind of hatred for abortionists. And, and you know, I remember whenever the media portrayed something going on with abortion, the abortion story of whatever nature, they used to start off with, this abortionist was shot through the window and it's unbelievable and have his casket there, his family standing around, as if that's the take from the pro-life movement. Not at all. We're pro-life and what we do hope for is an end to the violence. And yet we're, even the perpetrators of this violence, we have a love for and that we're praying for them. And we hope for the best for them. And the best for them would be stopped from doing these killings. So it's, it is, it's an unbelievable story. It seems very much related. It seems beyond our capacity to deal with, but there is this opportunity to pray. Think of all of the spiritual ties in here. The evidence comes on the Feast of the Annunciation. The abortionist in question's name is Sant Angel, Holy Angels. We need to pray that this goes well. What else can we do? Um, tell us, if you can, uh, if, if you have anything else. I'd also like, if possible, to speak with the collaborators you've been working with, both with uh, Missy Smith and also with Randall Terry, uh, who I know are there as well. But uh, are there any final comments that either of you two had? Uh, before we go to them the first trimester children that we found are being um plans for um, a proper burial and we are working towards making sure the five other children christopher x harriet holly phoenix and angel get a proper burial as well Amen. Well, I thank you both for, for that. And I understand it's very difficult to talk about these things when you've experienced them. As I said before, we're so proud of you. God bless you. And we're going to be praying for you. Thank you. So um, if you can tell us what we can do uh, from a more practical perspective, we will be praying about this for sure. But what else can be done? And uh, what do you have to tell us? I would cry out for those who are watching in America, contact the Justice Department and ask, really demand that the Justice Department do an investigation into this abortionist. The D.C. authorities, the law in D.C. is so bizarre. Some people read it to say you can kill a baby up till the day of birth and you don't even have to be a licensed physician. So this is insanity. But federal law. Born Alive uh, Infant Protection Act and the law against partial birth abortion. These are federal matters. And we ask people to contact the Justice Department and to demand that they open an investigation into this abortionist and that they drop the charges against these nine people. The nine people are the heroes in the story, not the villains. This is like some dystopian horrific novel where the people trying to save lives are put in prison and the people that are doing the killing are walking free. It's, it's, it's unthinkable. Yeah. This is, uh, we're hoping uh, at LifeSite and to do a petition on that, to, to petition the government in order to do the right thing here. Uh, and let me, since you mentioned there, uh, Randall, the, the need for funds, obviously this case is going to need funding. The many people who are involved are going to need support. So at LifeSite News, we're setting up a Life Funder on this. Go to lifefunder.com. You'll see it there and you'll be able to support this case going forward. These nine heroes who are are facing these horrific charges. So Missy, what can you tell us? Well, um, uh, I guess it was November 27th, 2020. Uh, I got a call from um, a friend, a pro-life friend who had heard on the ham radio of her own that there was a, a baby had been found dead in a, a toilet in a, a Ruby Tuesdays restaurant in Upper Marlboro. And so I made some calls. I looked at the, the footage that I was able to get on the Internet. And uh, indeed, there was a little baby girl uh that had been found and turned over to the medical examiner. So I called the medical examiner and offered to uh, give a 
Good Samaritan uh, offered to have a funeral and the uh, medical examiner was very angry about it and ugly. So, but he did say, if you want to know anything more, call the detective who the case had been turned over to. So I did. And um, it took a long time, but I was able to get legal uh, custody of the remains of a little baby girl. Um, she was a full term. She was a third trimester baby. And uh, she was uh, found dead in a toilet. And um, the mother was contacted and said she didn't want anything to do with it. So I moved forward and was able to find a funeral home and a mortician to pick up the remains and name the baby Philomena Grace. We ultimately, months and months later, because it hit in the middle of COVID, we were able to have a beautiful mass, which Bishop Joseph Coffey was the main celebrant and then two other priests. And then we had a burial at this uh, wonderful little cemetery outside the church uh, in the um, Garden of the Innocents. So it's uh, not a, as I, I agree with you, there are no coincidences. And um, well, this baby was killed by the abortionist. This, the baby was killed by St. Angelo. So the same. the same, the same abortionist. So we have this, you know, perfect storm where the baby was, Philomena Grace was murdered. And then the nine arrests, these women and men that, that, uh, like Will Goodman, a very holy, these are all very holy people and they knew the atrocities because uh, you, I'm sure, uh, know about the, the woman that died, I think it was 2011. And then the, the case about uh, another baby that was born alive and left to die. So there's a long history here and there, it's not a coincidence or anything random these are all, the hand of God is in this to reveal the ugliness of this, in this particular <clears throat> abortionist. John, as you know, um, Lauren pointed out, the, the people that have been involved in this are from such divergent backgrounds. Uh, it, it's almost comical, to be honest with you, <coughs> excuse me, when we sit around and have certain discussions. But I, I want to point something out to to your viewers, one of the most famous stories the Lord ever told <clears throat> was the parable of the Good Samaritan. And in the Good Samaritan, the man was beaten and left for dead in the ditch. And the priest walked by and didn't do anything. And then the Levite walked by. And I jokingly tell the story that the priest was a writer and he did a series on secular humanism, relativism, the root of ditch beatings. And that the Levite was a singing Levite, and he did an album, and his, his title cut was Dying in the Ditch. And people would cry when they heard the song. And then along comes the Samaritan. And if we were to tell it as a joke, it would be something like, along comes the homosexual Mormon. Uh, or, you know, whatever you, you want to put in, because the Samaritans were despised by the Jews. The Jews hated the Samaritans more than they disliked the Gentiles because of the heresies that they had in their worship of God. So not only was the Lord explaining what it means to love our neighbor, which is if your neighbor's about to die, save them, which we're all called to do. We're all called to love our neighbor. But he was also insulting the people that thought they were too holy or too good or that they knew what it meant to love their neighbor. He was insulting them. <laughs> So we, we have been able to work together with people of no religious background, of incredibly different political uh, background spectrum, Republican, Independent, Democrat. And, and on most issues, we probably just, or at least on a lot of them, we just don't agree. But we recognize that there's a man dying in the ditch. And it's the baby. The abortion mill is the ditch and the man are the babies. And that we have an obligation before God and to our fellow man to do everything in our power to save as many babies as we can. And that's what we're doing. And so I tip my hand to these people. And sometimes I think because a lot of the people that I've had the joy of working with lately are not religious at all. And so as I have been working with some of these different people and speaking to them and hanging out 
it's been fun. It's been funny. And, and there are Christians who are upset because these people who are saving babies don't fit the common mold of a devout Christian. And, you know, I say to people, look, if my daughter was drowning and it took me and one other person to save my daughter, I'm not going to do a litmus test before I let that person save my daughter. I'm not going to say, are you a Christian? Do you pray the rosary? Do you believe in the gifts of the spirit? Do you speak in tongues? Do you, how many books are in your Bible? I'm just not going to do that. I'm going to say, please help me save my daughter. And if my daughter's life is worth that type of bridge building, then everybody's daughter's life and son's life is worth it. Yeah, yeah. They call the pro-life movement the greatest ecumenical movement on earth. And I totally believe it because it is where, uh, you know, we come together and fight for life. And you find so much courage in all these different backgrounds from not only racial backgrounds and and uh, cultural backgrounds, faith backgrounds too. And uh, it's it's an amazing thing. And yeah, we come at it from different perspectives and, and different things and, and we work that out. And usually... Uh, we care enough about one another to uh, to engage on these other topics. I, I know after the March for Life, when we've all been working like crazy, we go back to the bar, and we're usually talking about religion to one another, and that's okay. It's all good. Um, anyway, there is great fun in the movement, great love and great courage. And, and also, it's a, it's a, in some ways, the Good Samaritan was a rebuke to those of us who are like the priest and the Levite, who walk by on the other side of the road. I have been amazed at the courage that I've seen in some of these young people. And I've said to them, you're not proclaiming Christianity, but you're sure a burn the saddle of Christians because <laughs> you're doing the things that we should be doing. <laughs> but this case in particular, John, I think is, is really something as if when it's all revealed, it will uh, really bond so many people together because we all, I mean, I, unless someone is, has a truly hardened black heart, they love children. Everyone does. John, I need to, I need to say one more thing for you and a, and a plug for you. Uh, as you know, this is the first long-form interview, the first interview, really, that Lauren and Teresa have done. And there's a long line of people that are going to interview them. I just hung up with the Washington Post. They're going to do something on Monday. The CBS News affiliate is going to do a long interview with them. But we wanted you to be first because I knew that you and your folks would give Teresa and Lauren the opportunity to tell the story as it really happened. And if, if your viewers do see and hear other news broadcasts, which are surely going to happen, some of them that are already emerging are hostile, belligerent, and untrue. So I thank you for the opportunity for Lauren and Teresa and for Missy and I to, to be a part of, a, of what we call a long form interview. It's like the good old days of Larry King, you know, or, or uh, some of these guys that would talk, ask a question and let the people talk. Thank you for that. God bless you and what you guys are doing. Well, thank you, Randall. It is our honor and privilege. I wanted to do one last thing before we sign off. The human toll is real for all of these nine who are really out there to save babies, to sacrifice themselves for life. And I really do hope people are really generous in assisting the Life Funder. If you don't mind, I'd like one of you maybe to describe what's going on with Lauren personally. And Lauren, if, if you're willing to do it yourself, that would be great. I, you know, I know this stuff is really hard for you, but to understand the toll of what's going on, I think people need to hear it as well. We've been with her and we know she's really suffering. I mean, she has lost her home. She had a brand new, beautiful new apartment. And in fact, there was nothing in her refrigerator. And so that worked out well with the 115 babies, but it didn't work out so well with her landlord when all the police and the newspaper and all that came, they asked her to leave. Yeah, and, they threw her out. Yeah. So it's a it's she's and she, a, she thought that she was going to be able to go and live with a certain group of people that have always been there for her and they said nope you can come back and live here as long as you promise to not do anything pro-life and not speak about the pro-life movement and of course she would not be willing to do that so right now um 
She's in between homes. We're not going to call her homeless because we didn't find her under a bridge. We did, however, find her on a couch. So she's for sure in between homes and can use help. <laughs> yeah. A lot of I'm, I don't know if, uh, Lauren, are you able to come and just speak to that for a second? Or would you rather leave it there? When we count up the, the costs, when we follow Jesus, and I know it's worth it. I know pursuing righteousness, pursuing justice, pursuing what is good and, and beauty in life. I'm willing to suffer for the unborn and to suffer to, to alleviate pain and death wherever I can. Um, and so in that aspect, it's worth it. Um, but I just remember you know, I'm in FBI custody. I'm in a cage sitting on a metal bed and thinking to myself, a day before, two days before, I'm seeing his victims, the victims of Dr. Santangelo. And uh, it, the juxtaposition was very interesting. And um, I'm so thankful for all the priests in my life who've been advising and helping along the way. And um, I know a lot of people are very upset and very uh, confused about what's happening, very disturbed with what's happening. And that's natural. I mean, talking about children very advanced in age being killed. And I wanna encourage people that I did whatever to the best of my ability to follow church teaching to give and respectfully honor and love these children. Amen. Lauren, thank you. Teresa, Missy, and Randall, thank you all. This has been for LifeSite News for the John Henry Weston Show, an honor beyond what I can say. God bless all of you.